countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Nobody knows my sorrow. Hey, there's no time for more of the last comic shop. We've been finally let out of lockdown here at the old shop. And we're going to open it up to newbies in order to help them find their way under the comic book tent. And at the shop, we also keep the lights on for those oldies that want to level up by reading the comic books. And I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, along with Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And as always on our program, we review comics. But in addition to reviewing comics, we also review things like movies. And on today's program, you're getting a two for one. Yeah, we've been let out of our cells and we're ready to run wild with two reviews on today's program. Not only do we have the most recent run of Suicide Squad... That was out by DC by a slew of people, which Chad will get to in just a second. But also, we're going to be talking about the new Suicide Squad movie, which you can not only see in theaters right now, but also on the HBO Max streaming service. And let's be honest, the reason why we're reading these books is because there's a movie out. Because I don't think we would have picked these up in a thousand years if there wasn't a film. Oh man, I was going to go with the whole John Cena you can't see me. We couldn't see any good Suicide Squad books to pick. <laughs> that's true. Something. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you know, if you're wondering why we picked uh, the most recent run of Suicide Squad to review on today's program, it's not because we're in some ways recommending it. It's, uh, we again had a lot of trouble deciding what Suicide Squad book to read, uh, given the fact that we oftentimes on this program do a comic book that people can go pick up if they want to that kind of ties in with the recent uh, either TV show or uh, movie featuring these characters. So we always like to, again, bring people into the comic book tent, get those comic books uh, out there in front of people that are especially seeing these comic-related properties on the big screen or small screen. And so... We decided to be your traditional new fan, which is like, hey, if I just saw the Suicide Squad movie and I went to a local comic book shop, what would I pick up? Probably the new run of Suicide Squad. So on today's program, we're going to review all of the newest issues, uh, starting off with the two issue run that occurred in the future state. Uh, which you might have heard us talk about on previous shows. And then the first four issues of the current ongoing run of Suicide Squad, which includes a crossover with Teen Titans Academy, number three. So those are the books on today's program. Now, Chad, who was involved with making all of these particular comics? So for the future state issues, they were written by Robbie Thompson with art by Javier Fernandez. For the Suicide Squad issues proper, we're looking at issues one through four, where we have Robbie Thompson as the writer throughout. Edward Ponsica is the penciler for issues one through three and parts of four. Uh, he has help by Joe Prado, uh, who pitches in on inks and finishes in that. And then Julio Ferreira is doing inks the rest of the time. Marcelo Maiolo on colors. And Wes Abbott 
on letters throughout that. And then for Teen Titans number three, which crosses over, we have Tim Sheridan as the writer, uh, Rafa Sandoval as the penciler, Jordi Tarragona as the inker, with art assists by Max Rayner and Alex Sinclair, who helped with this, the uh, Future State stuff. We had Alejandro Sanchez on colors and Rob Lee on letters. The one creative thread throughout all of these um, myriad of uh, creators that worked on this particular series is Robbie Thompson as the writer. Now, Chad had an opportunity to talk with Robbie last year at C2E2, right before the COVID lockdown in Chicago. And when you got to talk to him, Chad, did you get a feel for this book or any of his other books? So uh, Robbie Thompson, a super nice guy. Uh, it's nice to meet somebody that still plays words with friends. Uh, that was my first impression. <laughs> but I didn't realize uh, that he worked in TV. Uh, but starting with season seven, he worked on Supernatural. He worked on Jericho. He worked on the Human Target TV series. In addition to where I knew him from was a 12-issue series he wrote called Spidey. Uh, he wrote Silk at Marvel, which there are lots of Silk fans out there. Did some Venom Space Night. Uh, he was doing Meet the Skrulls. And when I talked to him, the Suicide Squad stuff, he had been working on it, but it had yet to be released. And so now we finally get to see the fruits of his labors. So it's it's exciting. Very cool. And you can actually pick up some of those Spidey issues that he wrote in a huge Marvel Treasury edition. They actually released it, I think it's like the first couple of issues, but um, I bought that for my son just because of the big panels and the classic Spider-Man on, on the cover, him swinging through New York. It's a wonderful Treasury edition. So uh, if you have an opportunity to snag that uh, for either yourself or your young kids, I would highly recommend that. And I thought that series, it started kind of slow the first couple issues, but then once he got into it, I got really good. That's actually something that uh, I definitely might uh, recommend later on. I don't know. We'll see how things go. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into that 10 cent synopsis uh, for the uh, future state plus these first four issues slash one issue of Teen Titans Academy. And I'm going to give it our best <laughs> shot here. So the, the future state stuff, I think it happens on Earth 3. And honestly, the whole story was kind of confusing to me. I think it had to deal mostly with the Suicide Squad trying to fight uh, some sort of weird version of the Justice League led by Connor Kent, who uh, you might uh, recognize or remember as being one of the four Supermen that came out of Reign of Superman after the death of Superman way back in the uh, 90s. He is, of course, the Superboy that wore the uh, leather jacket and had the shades and eventually became uh, a really important member of Young Justice. Last I saw of Connor Kent, he was killed at, in, what was that, Infinite Crisis? Did he die in that one? I, I just don't remember. Well, Superboy Prime killed him, yes. And then, like, he had okay. a tearful he had a tearful uh, death scene with, uh, not Donna Troy, but the other Wonder Girl. Um, Cassie. Yeah, because they were they, they, they were an item at the time. And I remember that. It was the only part of that story I liked, because that actually was the only thing with emotional punch. So, no pun intended. Yes. That's right. And I think at some point they retconned him, so he's now a clone of Clark Kent and Lex Luthor. So he's part Superman, part Luthor. Uh, the Suicide Squad, led by Peacemaker, uh, who seems to be the new freshness, uh, thanks to his... Uh, John Cena star turn. That's right. <laughs> he's leading a, a group of Suicide Squad members uh, to basically take down Superboy's Justice League. And I don't know, Amanda Waller plays 
it was really weird. To, I, 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 I honestly didn't understand most of it. But then mm. you kind of <laughs> switch gears uh, into the actual Suicide Squad book, at which point, again, my, Amanda Waller is putting together a new Suicide Squad. She's a lot more ruthless than I've ever seen her in any other series before. Uh, she basically looks at every single member of her team, including Peacemaker, as just an asset, a weapon, somebody that can be killed at a moment's notice. Rick Flagg, who has been a longtime supporter of what the Suicide Squad is trying to do, obviously has problems with this, and she neutralizes him. So you don't even have Rick Flagg in this anymore. It's really Peacemaker leading this group of, I hate to say it, jabronis, because most of them I've never heard of. First, they go to Arkham and try to break out Talon, who some folks might remember from the Court of Owls series, Scott Snyder's Batman run. He's been the big breakout into the rogues gallery. And he's kind of crazy now, or he's pretending to be crazy, whatever. Who? Who? That's right. Who? Uh, But everybody else dies except Peacemaker and getting Talon. And so they bring him back. uh, And then they go get other members of Manda Waller's team, uh, including trying to get Bolt, uh, who's a member of the Teen Titans Academy, a young speedster. Uh, who's kind of got an interesting kind of backstory. I won't lie. She was kind of cool. But they fail in getting her. But they do get Red X. Uh, who I guess came from the Teen Titans cartoon show from the early 2000s, right? Yes. That was one of Dick Grayson's uh, identities that he assumed. I, I didn't know who he was. He just a dude with a mask. Mm. And anyways, he runs roughshod over the new Suicide Squad and then escapes. I- Random jabronis go into the future and do some stuff that no one cares about. Mm. Random jabronis <laughs> break into Arkham Asylum and fail miserably at their job. Mm. The whole point of them for, for doing these things in issues one and two, it's breaking into Arkham to get Talon. And then in issues three and four and the Teen Titans, it's breaking into the Teen Titans headquarters to try to get Bolt. Why, though? There's no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, the whole plot device that is pushing the book forward is just getting more assets for the chessboard. Okay, maybe it's setting up to something. Maybe these pieces are like the 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 rooks and the knights and everybody else who's been dying off or the pawns. But as you said, Weller just seems to not care about killing most of her squad to get one or two assets so that she can then send them back in the field to die to get another asset. And ultimately, I had a hard time connecting with any of it. Like, why should I care? And I will just point out, this is the third week in a row we've read a book about some random jabronis that I've never heard of before and (laughs) don't care about. (laughs) (laughs) No, your points are valid for sure. One of the problems with Future State is exactly what you're talking about, J.A., they didn't provide a lot of context like across the board, mm. and it was really tough to care about what was going on. But I thought it all seems like it's set up. The future state issues were important enough just because they're like a, a sneaky preview of what we're dealing with and why Amanda Waller has gone so crazy. Where it, And in the future state issues, they go up against, you know, the Dollar General Justice Squad. And that's where you see Waller start doing that thing where she's collecting her pieces. And as we were reading this, I was like, boy, this is the mehiest book to ever meh. Like, it just seemed real slow. And as you mentioned, the ton of characters in here, and they're not particularly memorable. They're not particularly well-designed either. 
you know, like some of the costume designs, they just seem kind of blah. And it's hard to care about most of these folks. But I will say, by the time I finished issue four, I was like, okay, I can see that perhaps they're building to something bigger. And this is a series where I feel like maybe if I, I followed it out through like 12 issues and they got through their first big arc they're working towards, that maybe the payoff will be solid. But as it stands, the, the chunk we read, the first big story, like, it, you don't care about anybody. And I don't, with the Superboy stuff, I have no idea what's going on with Superboy. Why Superboy's been kidnapped by Amanda Waller. The last I remember, the Superboy was in the Jeff Johns Titans reboot. You know, it's funny, he's a superhero there. And then they brought him back for Young Justice, when in the jacket and the glasses, like he was in the 90s style. And I, I didn't follow that book through the end, so I don't know what happened there. But it's just like, the characters that I do recognize, I don't recognize. Like, what the hell happened? And why is nobody telling me what's going on? Like, give me some morsel to cling to, to care about these guys. And And... The, the other side characters that they set up, there's one guy who looks like cross between the Punisher and Boomerang, Superior Foes series. Of course, he's dead within two issues. Like <laughs> oh, that's that's, you know? that, that, that's one of the great lines, though, in the books. Oh, so you're our new transporter guy. Yeah. Do you like Spinal Tap? You're like the drummer. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I started to, to care a little bit about these characters by the time we got through issue four. But I really feel like it was just, it's a slow start, and there's not enough to latch on to to hook people. I, I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Well, I want to start off by saying, first and foremost, people might think this, but I'm not a DC hater by trade. Like, I don't just hate on DC books just because I'm a member of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. I will say that. I am a bigger Marvel fan than I am of DC. But I'm, I went into this book saying to myself, okay, I'm going to give this... A, a fair shot. I've never read much Suicide Squad, uh, but you know I, I do get Connor Kent. I understand who Connor Kent is. He was my favorite Superman to come out of Reign of Superman. I really enjoyed Connor Kent over the years. Again, because I'm a child of the '90s, like you know what I mean. Like I, I grew up with Connor Kent, and you know it was it was nice for that character to be around. So I was happy to see him here. Plus, I won't lie. I kind of like the Peacemaker. I, I've read a bunch of his uh, old stuff with the Charlton comics, so I've, I have that uh, backstory with Peacemaker. I like the Paul Kupperberg four-issue mini uh, with Peacemaker that was released in the, I think it was the 80s or the 90s. So I'm glad he's front and center. But at the same time, other than Connor Kent and Peacemaker, and I guess Amanda Waller, everybody else, they're cannon fodder. And so you're, you're building a book around... You're like, who is this guy? Maybe I should go and, and research him and see if he's in other books. Nah, forget it. They're going to kill him in like three pages anyways. Yeah. So you don't like the big lady who's managed the last three or four issues? Yeah. Chup- what is it? Chupa lady? I can't even remember yeah. her name. But she's she is cool because she's got that startings of a booster gold uh, blue beetle relationship with Talon where they kind of hang out together. And that's a kind of an interesting little dichotomy. Slacker jobbers that are just there just being like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but but let's hang out together and, and talk wise. And I'm like, okay, I could get that. So, so basically you've got a core group of about four characters plus Amanda Waller and everybody else that shows in and out of this book again is cannon fodder. And I'm sorry, as a new comic book fan, if I was coming into this book, I'd be like throwing a bunch of characters that I don't know who they are. And turns out that I don't need to know who they are. Why should I care? 
why should I care about anything that's happening in this book other than it seems like Amanda Waller is psychotic and willing to kill anybody, and that seems to be the overarching story. To, to piggyback off of that, too, is not only do you have the general Suicide Squad ethos where characters don't matter, but now you're dealing with multiverses. And you have, you know, Amanda Waller going to Earth 3 for characters, and like, what? And I worry about the, the MCU with this as they're heading into the multiverse. As soon as you have multiple versions of characters, like, things get more and more watered down. The more generic versions you have, it's like, oh, why should I care about this character when there's infinite multiverses out there? They could just grab another. This book, I think, is like doubling down on the fact that no characters matter. It's, it's tough as a reader to care. To add to that, and I don't mean to dump on it, but there's not a lot of backstory either. So it's if you're coming in as a new reader and you're trying to find your legs and figure out what's going on, you don't know what any of these people's motivations are. I mean, except for the fact that they've got a bomb in their neck that's going to explode, maybe that's it. That's the point. You don't need to know about their motivations because their motivation is don't die. Yeah, right. and even big events that happen. There's that part with that green gas. I don't know if you guys cared about it at all, but that's apparently a big event in the DC Universe where the Joker gas is unleashed on Arkham. But that's supposedly their A day. And so they manage to get Talon out of there before he can be affected. And it's like, they, they don't give you enough to know, like, oh, this is an important event that, like, we're stepping into here. And even, like, afterwards, they don't reflect on it enough to to let you know why things matter or why things are such big deals. I will say this, and I mean, sticking up for the book just a little bit, you know, the one nice thing that I did like is, again, going back to Peacemaker, they do give him a little bit of a storyline where he's saying, like, you know, peace at all costs, and that he's only a part of the Suicide Squad because he ultimately believes in, I guess, what the Suicide Squad is capable of in terms of bringing order to the general DC universe. And uh, I like the storyline that he has where he's trying to secretly take down Amanda Waller that pretty much everybody thinks that she's crazy. And so he's trying to lead a little secret revolution from his laundry room <laughs> headquarters. <laughs> Make sure that you get your change folks and, and your downy sheets. It's fine. And I also like him butting heads with Superboy again, these are two characters I actually do care about. And I like the fact that they're not on the same page and they're kind of butting heads all the time. And he's, you know, calling him Boy Scout and all this other jazz. But yeah, like other than those things, I think to J.A.'s point, it, it's just uh, let's go get assets to kill them. Are, are you just trying to build your perfect team? Is that what you're trying to do? It's like Running Man or, you know, something where it's just like, we're just going to kill all the contestants until we get the best of the best. And then we're going to make a squad out of those guys because they're the ones that survived long enough. If you're doing that with a comic book series, I'm sorry. You're going to lose readers because nobody's going to care about the buildup to the team you actually eventually get. And to piggyback on that, it crosses over with the Titans Academy, which is doing a very similar thing where they're introducing a ton of characters. And I feel like Titans Academy is doing that job slightly better. Not well, but slightly better. Let's talk about that a little bit, because that was one of the sort of takeaways from this series that we read that I actually liked. I liked the character of Bolt. I liked that she wasn't just sort of a vanilla comic book heroine. She had a nice backstory. Uh, if you don't know, Bolt is from Australia, and early on she lost her legs, so she runs around in those blades like in the Paralympics. 
but she doesn't always walk around. Sometimes she has regular prosthetic legs. Sometimes she goes around in in a wheelchair. And so that was interesting and nice to see something that is different, but not played up in a way that is like it's a hindrance or a handicap. It's just that's just her thing. And I felt that it was earned the way they did it. They didn't make a big deal out of it, but they told you enough. So you had the backstory and you could understand why she was the way she was. Right, how her parents basically gave her to mobsters. They ended up taking her legs. Yeah, it reminded me of the best of New Mutants. When New Mutants was getting started, you know, the first couple of issues where you're getting backstory on all these new characters that Marvel was introducing, all these new young teenage mutants. But I felt that she's the only one that had any of that. The rest of them were just sort of facsimiles of something kind of just there uh the character i had the most problem with was the x guy and i was like what is this deadpool i mean he he was the most rob liefeldy character out of all here comes red x he just he reminded me of like a comic book character i would have made in the 90s that didn't matter what you threw at him he'd always have some way of getting out of it Oh, yeah, definitely like the Snake Eyes style, like the master of everything. And that's actually, I've been, I picked up the Titans Academy. That's been the big mystery throughout that series is who is Red X? There's a really good issue that follows, and it has Steve Lieber on art, but they have this, the Bat Squad that goes in and tries to deduce who the Red X is. But they, they do it in a way where it's not just all action and punches and like there's some pathos in there, there's some humor in there. And they do a better job than you get at for any of the characters here in Suicide Squad. Well, let's go ahead and get our grades so that we can get to that movie review in just a few minutes. So, uh, J.A., what is our rating scale for these issues of Suicide Squad? Oh, this one's easy, and you'll love it. One out of four neck bombs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's fitting. Because, gosh, uh, again, uh, other than a couple characters, I wish most of these folks were neck-bombed because I didn't yes. care about them at all. Uh, Chad, how many neck-bombs are you giving this thing? Okay, so as much as I've ragged on it, like, we didn't talk about the art in this book. The art is, is pretty solid. It has that style that's a little bit more realistic uh, in nature than I usually gravitate towards. But I thought uh, Eduardo uh, Ponsica, whose name I struggle with, I apologize. But he's doing a really a solid job on art. And I feel like the story, as it went on, I felt like it was picking up. This is something that if I hear really good things, I might go back and check out the next trade. But as of right now, like, there's just not enough there to latch on to. And I, the, the bad part is, is you have this Suicide Squad book and this Titans Academy book. And then I compare that to a Marvel book I've already recommended for the show, The Strange Academy, that also is introducing a bunch of new characters but the thing with Strange Academy is they're focusing on those characters. They're not throwing them into crossovers three issues in, you know, like that A-Day uh, situation. They're letting the characters breathe and grow there. Uh, whereas here, you can tell DC, they have that thing where they just, they're trying to rush things. And you want them to, to slow down. Great storytelling takes time, and they're just not doing that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think this has potential. But I, I, it's not there yet. I'm going to give it uh, two out of four neck bomb disposable characters uh, for the Suicide Squad thus far. All right. J.A.? Yeah, so, I mean, if we're doing neck bombs, it should be like ten neck bombs. We should blow them all up, right? <laughs> we shouldn't care. 
that that's a bad thing. Um, I see what you're saying, Chad, and maybe this has sort of a Hickman-esque quality where they're building towards something that might be interesting. Like, I have to admit, at the end of issue four, where the cell door to flag jail cell who had been locked in there in issue one was open and he was missing i was like "Ooh, that's kind of intriguing i wonder what's going to happen because now flag is out so maybe it's building towards something and maybe it's one of those long haul things that you've got to wait get some perspective and read as a chunk in like a proper trade as someone coming to the comic book fresh and new and without any idea of uh, what Suicide Squad is, or having read other Suicide Squad books, it's just <sighs> confusing. And and the plot wasn't very interesting to me. The writing was okay, but the plotting was just sort of plotting. Um, yeah. I would have to give it one and a half next Wow, And I think I'm going to uh, uh, echo that sentiment. I think this is a one and a half. Um, and I primarily say that because... Again, on the last Comic Shop podcast, we always like to try to get folks into the comic book tent by saying, hey, go out and read this comic book series, especially if you've seen some sort of tie-in movie or TV show. And again, the Suicide Squad movie with the James Gunn directing, it's it's going to be huge. So, I mean, I've often said that like they should give comic books away at movie theaters. If you go see a movie, you know, you should be like, here's the comic book. I wouldn't give them this Suicide Squad. And that's not a dig on Robbie Thompson. I think Robbie Thompson's an excellent writer. I think he has written some really great stuff in the past. Uh, I did enjoy his Spidey run and uh, some other books that he's done. In the This isn't a ding on him. Honestly, I, I hope that he was under some editorial constraints to do certain things with this book. I don't know. I didn't talk to him about it. But ultimately, I hope he was because the way that things are kind of shoehorned into this particular four issues they don't make a lot of sense plot-wise. Like, again, you don't get any explanation to why the Joker gas should matter in those two issues in Arkham. You know, you don't know who this Red X is and why he wants to break into the Titans Academy. I, I don't know. I like any none of this stuff uh, matters to a new reader that doesn't have any experience with any of what's going on in this book. And that's a failure. Mm. It's kind of like Hickman's Avengers following the Avengers movie that we've talked about previously, where it's just like setting up some sort of massive plot line that, again, might matter in 25 issues from now. That's not going to be good for a new reader that's plunking down 4 or $5 right. for a book. It, it was a great story, but if you're just getting into it, no way. Yeah. So 1.5, man. Not bringing folks into the comic book tent. I'm sorry. And, and uh, one thing I, I want to say that it's missing that Titans Academy has is the fun. Like in Titans Academy, you have a character whose name is Gorilla Greg. We all know gorillas sell comic books. Where are the gorillas in the Suicide Squad? Where is the fun? It's got some fun. I mean, the writer's obviously a cinephile. He's got that homage to Spinal Tap. He's got the, do you want me to Uma Thurman Boy Scout here? As he, she jabs the adrenaline into Right, but Super if he was Boy. doing that into a gorilla, ten times better. <laughs> Very true. All right. Well, one thing that doesn't have many gorillas in is uh, the Suicide Squad movie. And we'll be covering that right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned for our review. No gorillas, but lots of sharks. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? 
Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our second review of the show. As we promised, it is Suicide Squad the movie. The Suicide Squad. Oh, The Suicide Squad. All right. Putting the the makes it a sequel, I I guess. That's the new thing. It's not a sequel. sequel. It's a soft soft reboot. Well, they could keep their reboots. I got some interesting thoughts on this one, uh, but we're going to go ahead and start off with uh, a cast list, and that comes from Chad Smith. So, Chad, there was a multitude of people in this movie who uh, were among those that graced our TV or and or movie screens. Okay, so this was a James Gunn production written by and directed by James Gunn. Starring Michael Rooker as Savant, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg, Nathan Fillion as TDK, Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang, Flula Borg as Javelin, Myla Ng as Mongal, Pete Davidson as Blackguard, Sean Gunn as Weasel and Calendar Man, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Stephen Blakehart as Briscoe, Idris Elba as Bloodsport, John Cena as Peacemaker, Daniela Melchior as Ratcatcher 2, Dee Bradley Baker as Sebastian the Rat, David, oh I can't say his name, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> That's Malkian. Malkian. Okay, as Polka Dot Man. Sylvester Stallone as the voice of King Shark. Lynn Ash as Polka Dot Man's mom. It's one of the fun creepy notes. Peter Capaldi as The Thinker. And Steve G as John Economos slash the onset version of King Shark. And many, many more. Well, there you go. As I said, it was a star-studded cast. Uh, or at least uh, a cast that was quite large in some ways because there was a lot of people that died. J.A., can you give us a 10-cent synopsis of Suicide Squad? I mean, try to make it less spoilerly just in case some people haven't seen it yet. Everyone knows the basic setup of Suicide Squad is that they're these bad guys that have a chip implanted in the back of their neck that'll blow them up if they go off script and then they're pulled out of prison and go on these missions where they're most likely going to die. And if they don't die and they pull off the mission, they get reduced time spent in jail. So with that set up, their suicide squad mission, should they be forced to accept it, is they have to go to the island of Corto Maltese, which is the DC Universe equivalent of like some Central American hellhole, uh, to get these computer disk files on this horrible research that's been taking place there. So there's two squads go in to try to recover this disk. They run into some bad guys led by the Thinker and uh, a whole army of, you know, former Cuban refugees from the Communist Party. I don't know. Uh, They fight a bunch of army guys and a horrible thing and they run into some aliens and 
Yes, come on, just say the Star of the Conqueror. Okay, yeah. Star of the Conqueror. So sorry. Well, I thought you didn't want me to give away. I thought that's that's, all right. that's, okay. I mean, okay, so Star of the Conqueror is is being experimented on. He breaks out, and then they have to fight Star of the Conqueror as he tries to conquer this island nation of Koromotlis. Well, there you go. Project Starfish? Project like, Starfish. So they were all about, like, it could be a bumhole. <laughs> <laughs> Among some other terrific lines in this, I won't lie, the writing was fairly good. It, it made me laugh occasionally, which is better than a lot of the other DC movies out there. But our initial thoughts, and we're going to start off with Chad, because he took notes. So I think the WB learned from their constant meddling that messed up the first Suicide Squad movie, and they got out of the director's way, and this is what happened as a result. We have Zack Snyder excess only given to an entertaining director. And they gave James Gunn basically free reign to make whatever kind of movie he wanted. And what you ended up with was a movie that was all over the place. It's part comedy, part horror, part kaiju movie, part lovable losers, part Looney Tunes with Harley Vision, part superhero movie. There's so much blood, so much horrific violence. The Warner Brothers name is spelled out in blood spray at the very beginning of the movie. And that lets you know exactly what it is you're getting into. Comparing it to James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy, this was like Guardians of the Galaxy if you subtracted some of the heart and added more like trauma-level gore. Um, But there there are a lot of things that worked for it. I, I thought the casting was great. And one of the cool things about the casting that I think made the movie work better than the Suicide Squad comics that I read was that because they had familiar actors you instantly get like a shorthand of caring about that character. So when I see Pete Davidson's character show up or Nathan Fillion show up, you care about them because, hey, that's Pete Davidson. Hey, that's Nathan Fillion. And then some of those characters go away. And to paraphrase Pete Davidson's Chad character from Saturday Night Live, you're like, okay. And then you bring on more characters that they dispose of. And it's fine because, like I said, you have that shorthand. You care about the actors, so you care about those characters for that brief moment. While it is horrific with the violence and the gore, and there's that part of me that's of a tour adult that's like, this is way over the top and out of line. There's also the part of me that's like, no, this is kind of awesome. Do you see that guy's head just slice clean off of his <laughs> brains falling all over the floor? And like when Harley Quinn, she runs the gauntlet, killing person after person, but you see it and har- call it Harley Vision. There's like cartoon birdies and flowers and instead of blood spray and all that stuff. That was great. And then with Polka Dot Man was the best part for me. I just pretend these people are my mother and then I kill them. And they would show <laughs> all the characters on the screen in the form of Polka Dot Man's mother. And that was the funniest thing I've seen in a movie ever, I think. There's a lot going on here that I found entertaining. But yeah, at the end of the day, because everything's so disposable and everything's so over-the-top gory, it's hard to care as much as you would about stuff that's worth caring about. And and let's not forget about the mid-movie dance-slash-drinking scene where they're in the bar. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Polka Dot Man is doing his John Travolta surrounded by his mom. There you go. That's the hidden uh, Guardians of the Galaxy cameo with Mantis making a sneak appearance in there. Yes. In that scene. I think I'm going to go next because I think... I can't, I, I can't decide whether I like this movie or not. And I think it's because of all the reasons you kind of named Chad. I mean, I will say this, that I enjoyed this a lot more than other DC-related movies that I've seen in the past. But still, I'm not sure if I like it. 
because I feel <laughs> like it's uh, very much a retread. And it's hard to say because a lot of folks think a lot of superhero movies are retreads, but this one felt particularly retready at times. You mentioned that it's like Guardians of the Galaxy without some of the heart. I feel like they were trying at times to push the heart. I mean, every time Ratcatcher 2 was on screen, you knew that that's what they were going for. Relationship with uh, Idris Elba, like that, that whole thing was just to, you know, humanize these characters and make you care about oh. them from a deeper perspective. And the friendly rat. Yeah. Like that was kind of like, oh, look at this character. That's kind of like Rocket Raccoon slash Groot. And I was just like, yeah, I saw that once. It's called Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. And it worked better there. Even like at the end where there's like this terrific little scene with Ratcatcher 1 and he's like, oh, the rats, you know, they end up being the deus ex machina at the end. These armies of rats to defeat uh, Starro and yeah, well, I gave it away. But anyways, (laughs) uh, he was like, even the smallest creatures have a part to play and and you're supposed to feel something there, right? You're supposed to be like, oh, that's so wonderful. But I'm sorry, after two hours of just blood and gore. Like, my wife, she had to stop watching it because she was like, this is just way over the top. This is just too much. This is not pleasant at all. Like, I get it that there's supposed to be violence in some of these superhero movies, but this is just yucky. And I was like, yeah, you're right, it is. And so it was hard for me to to balance between the yuck factor and the heart factor. I was just like, "Uh, so what kind of movie are you going for? I I didn't buy Rick Flagg at all. Like, Rick Flagg was terrible the whole time. Like, he had a cool t-shirt, but that was it. But, like, he was like, oh, we've got to give this stuff to the American people. Oh, we've got to tell them what's been doing with Starro. And I'm just like, nobody cares. Nobody cares about this storyline. It's tacked on. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me. J.A.? You know, that, that end scene with the father, the whole time I was like, hey, it's Tika Waititi. I, I missed the whole heartstrings pulling thing for the fact that I was geeking out that it was Tika Waititi. I was like, oh, is Thor going to come here soon? We're going to see a Thor? Uh... And then, you know, parts of the movie, I was like, hey, it's that guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Hey, it's that other person from Guardians of the Galaxy. There are a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy people. It was just a meh movie for me. It was, there were some really nice scenes and some good quips. And uh, I, I wasn't so bothered by the ultra violence of the whole thing. I mean, to me, it was like Quentin Tarantino violence, right? It's over the top supposed to be like reservoir dogs where he chops the ear off i mean it's supposed to be so grotesque that it, it's almost cartoony violence like a hateful eight uh, it, it at the end of it you were just like oh okay it was like having fast food sometimes mm-hmm. you have a really nice fast food lunch or dinner because you haven't had fast food for a while and other times you eat fast food and after it you're like yeah i'm not really full it was okay I guess the fries tasted kind of good, but I, I, but did I really need to have that quarter pounder with cheese? Maybe not. Probably not. No, I, I totally agree. This is definitely empty calories. You know, you have all the violence, you have all the stylization, but, and even some of the camera work and stuff that was visually innovative. But at the end of the day, the story was just like, eh. you know, I, I think this movie is definitely a, a target audience pleaser. And definitely not a, a mass appeal movie. You know, basically, if you have people that are into the, the horror and the heroes and that kind of stuff, they're going to eat this stuff up with a spoon. If you're a fan of James Gunn's style, if you've seen Slither, if you've you know seen his other works, you're going to see his fingerprints all over this. But at the same time, if that's not what you're into, you know, this is not a, a for everybody movie. 
Yeah. And, and, and where do we stand on Starro? Is he this horrible, ugly, like, face-sucking alien type creature? Or is he just, you know, originally con- conceived in the 60s, comes off as just stupidly funny? I mean, those face huggers... I, I had to stop myself from laughing at the people that have become, you know, zombified by the face huggers. Can it be both? I mean, yeah. I love the big dumb kaiju, like, going through the city. Like, that was awesome. Right. I mean, I think that was one of the things that James Gunn wanted to do with this movie. I mean, it, it sometimes the thought process was kind of a little bit metafictional, where he's like, you know what's silly? Starro. Let's put him in my movie, because he looks silly. Just like Peacemaker, for example. Let's have Peacemaker show up and be John Cena. Yeah, he looks silly, but we'll have John Cena, who's naturally charismatic, play him. So, therefore, you'll be like, okay, his helmet does look like a toilet bowl. or And he is going to eat a whole bag of dicks if he has to. (laughs) That's true. He had some of the best lines. I didn't believe it at all that he came back from, like, getting shot in the neck and basically bleeding out on screen to have like a post credit sequence at the end. I don't know how his heart kept on going. It kept on going because they had already made a series afterwards. So they, (laughs) I don't know, but that's like, that's what I'm saying. That's what made it for me inconsistent or retready or something, because like you kill peacemaker to, to get that satisfying, like, Oh, here's Bloodsport saving Ratcatcher 2, and that's supposed to make us feel something for the audience, right? But it's like a fake death. It's like a meaningless death because he comes back at the end, and you know he's coming back at the end. They're not going to kill this character. So it's like, what would you do it for? What would you do it? I don't know. I, do, I did like the fact that the 12th Doctor showed up. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and he just basically played the 12th Doctor in that. He's like, you Yankee Doodle Dandies. And I was like, oh, look at that. That's just that's just him playing twelve so, doctor it, it, again. with a head full of sonic screwdrivers. Yeah, exactly. So I guess I geeked out a few times, just like the both of you. There were some scenes I was like, "Oh, this is fun," or whatever. But I don't know. Let's get ratings. Let's get ratings. Ja, what's our rating scale for the Suicide Squad movie? Well, that's easy. One out of four starros. Ah! How many starfish are you given this particular movie, Chad? So I enjoy James Gunn. At the same time, I was just listening to our Jack Kirby show, and we had talked about how Jack Kirby works so much better when he had somebody to collaborate with. And while I love James Gunn, I love James Gunn's style, I feel like James Gunn with Kevin Feige makes a much better team, and you get a much better result than what you have here, just like with the the Jack the King Kirby. You know, the stuff with Stan, you know, was a little bit easier to palette than the stuff that he did in his solo career. But with all that said, like, I enjoyed The Excess. This harkens back to crappy movies you would rent at the video store on Friday night and watch with your buddies and be like, ah, you know, hoot and holler at the screen, that kind of stuff. And I had a lot of fun with it. So I'm going to give it 2.75 stars. All right, Jay, are you going to raise that star limit or are you going lower? I think I'm going to have to lower my star limit a bit. I mean, we didn't even talk about a whole plot element that was there simply so that they could go in and kill the, all the revolutionaries that were going up against the, you know, the bad army oh. guys. So they go to save Rick Flagg and, and turns out that he's, you know, already partnered up with all these people, but they just kill everyone to get to him. I mean, the killing was so cool. Even Idris Elba admitted he's like, ah, it is pretty good. Cool. <laughs> yes. 
again, it was sort of like it's the empty calories bit. Uh, I give it two and a half starros. Okay. So I guess that's like two full five finger starros and one that's been chopped down inside. So he's got like two full hands and one half hand. Okay. Will he regenerate? Do starros regenerate like starfish? I think they do, don't they? In the comic, they do, don't they? I haven't read a lot of comic books with Starro. I've read the original. I've read his first appearance in, what, Brave and the Bold, where they first introduced the Justice League of America, and Starro's the bad guy in that. But I haven't read a lot of other stuff, so I don't know if he regenerates or whatever. He is silly. He is silly, but again, that's why you put him in a movie like this. That's why James Gunn wants Starro, because he's like, that's ridiculous. Let's put it in a movie and make people laugh at it a little bit in addition to all this other stuff. Holy shit, it's a kaiju! That was, that was a great line. And that guy in the chair, he was pretty cool. Uh, so, I, I mean, it was it was nice at some time. So, I, I can't give it less than a 2.5. This is better than Justice League. It's better than Batman versus Superman, Donna Justice. Is it as good as some of the MCU movies? Hell no. Mm. Hell no. And I'm not saying that that because I'm a Marvel fan. I'm just saying, like, this is probably, I don't know, like three or four years too late. And to Chad's point, I feel like James Gunn was too James Gunny here. Like, he didn't have somebody pulling, pulling him back and being like, whoa, easy there, easy there, boy. All right, let's get you back in the corral a little bit. But there, there were some good moments. I did like, by the way, Idris Elba is a phenomenal actor. And, like, everything he says is just wonderful with that British accent. Even put, putting people down, like, you're just like, oh, he's so cool. And I liked his little <laughs> uh, rivalry he had with Peacemaker throughout uh, that work. But there was a lot of superfluous characters. Again, Rick Flagg didn't need to be in this movie. And I'm glad that they killed him. Oh. What if they soft reboot the soft reboot? <laughs> They're the not going to reboot. This is going to make some money. So, like, I'm sure, and after the Peacemaker TV show, I'm sure that James Gunn is going to be making some more movies with the DC Universe. I just hope his next one, I don't know, doesn't feel as retready. I'll have to say. In any case, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with something that's not a retread. It's called Recommendations. It's always brand new on our show, so stay tuned for that. Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We painstakingly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for Recommendations. Ta-da! Yeah, where we pick out something similar, something recent, and something out of left field or off the beaten path. And we're going to start off with our current book, and that comes from, of course, J.A. Scott. So, J.A., what's a current book that they can pick up at their local comic book shop today? Okay, well, a current book is the New Mutants Volume 1 by Jonathan Hickman. This is a trade that collects the new New Mutants run starting in 2019, issues 1 and 2, 5 and 7. Now, the reason why I'm recommending this is because reading that Teen Titans crossover issue reminded me a lot of early New Mutants, like, you know, 1980s classic New Mutants. And 
I was interested to see how the new New Mutants, the Jonathan Hickman run New Mutants, uh, held up. And it's really good. Uh, so this is uh, by Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson and beautiful art by Rod Race. Uh, and basically... You get Sunspot, Wolfsbane, Mirage, Karma, Magic, Cypher, a lot of the original New Mutants. Uh, they go off planet. They go into space. They're trying to track down Cannonball. They hitch a ride on with the Star Jammers. Hijinks ensue. The Shire shows up and they're arrested. Get thrown into prison by the Shire and then they're fighting them. And gets away from this horrible thing that Hickman has introduced in the X-Men, all the X-Books, where they can die and regenerate. But these guys are out in space. They don't have that accessibility as much, so it gives a level of danger. And I can't stress enough how beautiful the art is. Very, very cool. All right, Chad, what is our similar book for this week? I'm going to go back to a time when DC rebooted the Teen Titans. This time I want to go all the way back to the Teen Titans by Jeff Johns, which is currently available in omnibus form. But basically, they took a handful of characters from Young Justice, including Tim Drake, Connor Kent, Cassie Sandsmark, the former Impulse who became Kid Flash, and joined them together with the Marvel from George Perez Teen Titans. It ran for a couple of years, was a really great series, and then unfortunately it fell victim, I think, to DC and their continuity fixes and pulling pieces like Connor Kent off the board and fast-forwarding things to five years later, one year later, that kind of stuff. But it, it was a great story with tons of heart, and you had characters facing down future versions of themselves, and what's scarier for teenagers than looking at the future? And like Tim is staring at himself as, as the Batman, like the stark brooding Batman character. And it's a really great run. And Jeff Johns, for as much flack as we give DC in general, Jeff Johns is one of those DC writers that really understands their characters and can cut to the heart of what makes them tick. Boy, did he do that in spades on his Teen Titans run. So you can get it. The, the Omnibus is the big one, but they also have his run broken down into a couple of different trades out there. But it's uh, Teen Titans by Jeff Johns. Uh, it makes great use of all the teenage characters and the classic Titans characters you know and love. Uh, it melds them together. Uh, it's, it's a really great book. Very, very cool. All right, I've got the out-of-left-field pick this week, and uh, it's similar in the fact that it uh, stars villains. You know, the Suicide Squad, they're supposed to be villains or whatever. Uh, and this also actually ties into a show we did two weeks ago when we talked about the superior foes of Spider-Man. And one of the comic books that I said that, oh, gosh, we should review on this show or, or do something with was a, a fantastic book called Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth, which was uh, by uh, Charles Voss. And it's uh, included in a terrific epic collection called The Return of the Sinister Six, which collects issues uh, 334 through 350, as well as Spider-Man Spirits of the Earth. And uh, really, for your money, I can't think of a better Amazing Spider-Man uh, epic collection to get 
uh, just because it's got so many really, really great stories. And maybe that's just because I'm biased, because these are the amazing Spider-Man stories that I really came of age with. This is really the Eric Larson run on Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I had some issues of the Todd McFarlane run of Amazing Spider-Man previously, but it was really with Eric Larson's run that I started getting issue after issue after issue after issue and really became a collector of Amazing Spider-Man in those early 90s. So you get some great stories, not only the return of the Sinister Six uh, six-parter, but you also get the powerless three-issue story where Spider-Man loses his powers for a little while and has to battle some other major foes uh, without his uh, superpowers to save Black Cat. Uh, you also get an awesome two-issue story with Venom on a desert island. Uh, uh, the covers where, alone for those books. Yes, with the uh, slobbering tongue of Venom like a mile wide, and he's holding up a skull of Spider-Man. <laughs> Plus, you get a neat little story with uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Doom, which a lot of people don't realize that initially... Dr. Doom was supposed to also be a part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. He showed up as early as Amazing Spider-Man issue number five. And I know in the 80s, when I was growing up with Amazing Spider-Man on, on TV and cartoons, Dr. Doom played a huge part in some of those cartoons as one of Spider-Man's main baddies. So it was kind of neat to have Dr. Doom show up, even though Spider-Man's way outmatched compared to Dr. Doom. And he's kind of just there because he wants some revenge on Black Fox. Or whatever. But regardless, I remember all of these stories and reading through this epic collection really brought me back to a, a golden age of Amazing Spider-Man for me. Uh, in some ways, I enjoyed Eric Larson's uh, art on Amazing Spider-Man even more than Todd McFarlane. And so I, I, I'm just a big fan of this run. Plus, you get that Spirits of the Earth, which is super neat and very in, in contrast in terms of art styles. Because that Charles Voss, everything looks beautiful. Like it's all in watercolors with like massive castles and small Spider-Man. It it's really wonderful where he goes over to Scotland and he's trying to stop the uh, machinations of the Hellfire Club. So, yeah. If you want a super cool Spider-Man, pick up The Return of the Sinister Six, Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection. It, again, they're like omnibuses in trade paperback format, so they're a little cheaper, uh, but yes. just have just as many great, great stories in them. Yeah, And we talked about the fun earlier. Michelini and Larson on that Spider-Man run, they knew fun. They knew how to enjoy Spider-Man's powers and his rogues gallery. It's just, that's a, a great run. Good pick. Yeah, and that's when Spider-Man was living in Chelsea, right? With And Mary Jane was hot Mary Jane. With <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> and the perm that was just all and Yes, yeah, she had red hair that didn't stop. That's right. And one thing that never stops is the Last Comic Shop podcast. We've got fantastic episodes coming out every single week. And how can you rate, review, and subscribe to our awesome show? Go out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find links to all of the wonderful podcasting platforms where you can find our show, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and Amazon Podcasts, and a variety of other places. Did you say Mamazon podcast? <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of Mary Jane. <laughs> and if you subscribe to any of our places with our podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review if you love us. If you're a big fan of what we do every single week and bringing folks into the comic book tent, leave us some kind words. Tell us what we mean to you. We'll make sure to give that a shout out on our social media. That's right. You can find us on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at, at Last Comic Shop. 
on Facebook, Last Comic Shop Podcast. And yeah, we really do appreciate it. It really helps keep us going. Uh, so if you have the time and are so inclined, uh, leave that review and let us know that you appreciate what we're putting out there. And all those social media links are available on our website as well as our merchandise. That's right. We release new designs all the time. And uh, make sure you stop back and check it out because you never know when you might get a nice discount on a brand new T-shirt from The Last Comic Shop. Yeah, I really loved our minimalist one. That's my next T-shirt. I just have to pick which Heather I'm going to go with because I also Ooh, love those Heathers. The, the green Heather? Do they? They're... I think he wants the Shannon Doherty Heather. There you go. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we don't want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage you guys to find a local shop near you. You can use the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com to find a place where you might pick up the Suicide Squad or Teen Titans Academy or Spider-Man Return of the Sinister Six or The New Mutants by Jonathan Hickman and Friends or Teen Titans by Jeff Johns. That's a good one. And uh, also, don't sleep on that Spidey series by Robbie Thompson. That Marvel Treasury Edition has the first three issues. That's really good. The rest of it's really fun. You can find all that and more at your local comic shop. Absolutely. And make sure that you also pick up Strange Academy that Chad brought up earlier in today's program. We are actually going to be reviewing that in just a couple weeks. The whole month of September will be our Marvel Month. So make sure that you uh, pick up Strange Academy so that you can read ahead and uh, look forward to that review again in the upcoming weeks. And until then, uh, this was The Last Comic Shop. I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And as always, stay safe, stay sheltered, and stay the heck away from Amanda Waller because she'll put one of those neck bombs in your neck and that'll be no good for nobody. Or all of your atoms like she did to Clayface. That was cruel. I just want the Suicide Squad to go ag- up against the A-Team and have a montage on. Ooh. <laughs> Where they're all stuck in a warehouse and they got to start... There's the soldering equipment. Thank God we were locked in a place with that. We can build these non-lethal oh. weapons to just make random Jeeps oh, flip over. Oh, oh look, here's, here's a box of dynamite. How convenient. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.